welcome, Dipti. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, oh, you're you're very welcome. It's lovely to have this conversation with you on a on a quite grey Friday afternoon. Um, where I think I wanted to start was to give you a bit of space for you to be able to introduce yourself, however you choose to introduce yourself. But and yes, and with a kind of frame of as we've talked about you, we, do, we are describing you as an emerging playwright. So, so we've kind of given you a, a label there. So um, it would be quite cool to know what you think about that and, and what else is there? What else do we, and that's me and Dan, but everybody else who might be listening to this, what would you like them to know about you? Oh, it's a, I really like the word emerging because it calls to question when when I feel like I'll be have emerged <laughs> and um, and I like this idea of uh, of being emerging because it means that to me what that words is that I'm working on something mm-hmm. and I'm moving and evolving as a person and as a writer mm-hmm. and it also doesn't have a time attached to it. Like mm. this is a young writer. This is a it's up and coming. It's like emerging. It feels deeper. So I really like that description. I think that's great because um, you can emerge at any stage of your life mm. into a differently evolved version of yourself, can't you? And you can stay yeah. emerging. Ideally, I think as an artist, keep you emerging. Want, you keep emerging. Yeah, keep emerging forever. And is, it's it interesting that, is it a way that people have described you to yourself in, in your circles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, emerging. And, and the thing about emerging is that someone's noticing that you're coming out, you know, you're coming up to get some air. You know, you've been mm. this primordial, you know, subterranean or, or subaquatic creature that's coming <laughs> up for air. And it's like, oh, I'm noticing this thing. <laughs> and so I really, I really like it. And then. Um, but that's not how I initially described myself as a playwright. I initially described myself as a reluctant playwright. <laughs> because, Go on. <laughs> because I, you know, I'm a very prolific and unknown prose writer um, for many years. So I have written dozens of stories, short stories, um, you know, created characters, roles, and, but always in prose. And only about five or six years ago did I think that those words could live truly on, you know, in a public format. I mean, I had a little glimpse of that when I came to your narrative workshop for the first time, but I never really believed that that's the direction my writing would go. I always thought Mm. I would just, you know, die and someone would find like (laughs) these reams of these stories and the story would be told then. So So Uh, what does it feel like to call yourself an artist then oh I get really squirmy oh okay (laughs) yeah why yeah I think because I've always held artists in really high regard and I think of them as sort of unicorns and people that you know don't eat or sleep or do all the things that human beings do and kind of exist in the world a little bit differently and you know it feels very um, high sounding. Mm. Um, I, it took me a long time to call myself a writer. 
but I still get a little squirmy using the word artists because I think of the people that I think of as artists and I think I'm, if I'm an artist, does that mean I'm part of that group of people that have inspired me? It feels like wrong or not right yet. It's really interesting. I think that whole area of imposter syndrome and, and there being a club or a group that you're mm. outside of, not inside. And the idea that you're a reluctant playwright and, you, and, it, and that you can't even get towards calling yourself an artist. Do you, do you think you'll, what, what will allow you to call yourself an artist and you not to feel that you're an imposter trying to be in a club that you don't really fit in? I used to think it was like that magic validation wand when someone I admire says, I was really moved by your work. And that, you know, when that happens, um, not that it happens all the time, when it has happened, I thought, well, that means we're, maybe we're not peers, but we're in the same orbit. Um, and you are getting that, aren't you? The world is, what I understand is the world is giving you that back. So this yeah. thing that you might have seen of as a hobby, now that's my word, you haven't used that word, but yeah. that might be a way of seeing um, your writing. Well, somebody else is saying, no, it's more than that. I see more than that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I am starting to get that. And, and you know, I think when someone is, is, is emerging, it's really important to receive that kind of feedback because it doesn't take a lot to get knocked off that trajectory of improvement. Mm. I mean, the world, the world can be very, very cruel to um, people with uh, tender skin and you need to have tender skin um, and a tender heart to create art. Yeah. So it's, the, it's kind of like I'm getting, um, I'm getting tenderized <laughs> the more that I put myself <laughs> in the world and becoming more susceptible to that where I think I might not have been before because I could always say, well, it's not my intention to be in the world as a writer anyway. This is just something I do. Yeah. So, um, and what else do we need to know about you in terms of your introduction? What else? Oh gosh. Well, you could probably hear a little bit in the background that uh, I live in um, Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan in New York City. And um, I, was, I was not born here. I was born in Mumbai, India. But I spent most of my life in a very small town in central um, New York State. And I, I always like to mention that because I feel like I, I can't tell, you know, I was born in a city, but I really always longed to be in places like where I grew up, like very, very small town, very easygoing. Someone will give you their parking space, you know, because you're not competing, um, a casualness that I miss. But then, you know, I've lived in New York and London, Mumbai. Um, so maybe I'm also a city person. Hmm. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a big part of my, my existence. And Oh, and I also have a job outside of writing. I have a second life as um, a strategist in the advertising and marketing world. And I think that actually goes back to your question, Dan, like what would it take? And I think sometimes you get these signals in the world that until your entire focus is the thing that you're creating artistically, you're just playing at it. 
Mm. And I, there's something about the commitment test fallacy that I am really keen to break, you know, because I always say to people, my life is a commitment test. You, you don't need to know how committed I am to being in this world. So, you know, I don't need to prove my writing commitment. It's, it's such a huge, it's not even a, um, it's not even something that I always like to do. I just need to. Mm. So, so I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but it, you're definitely an artist then. I mean, that, that, that to me, that, that need, that drive, albeit that you have other things that are, you know, very important and loom large in your life. That suggests to me that it's, you know, really part of who you are, your identity, how you express yourself. It's not a hobby. It's not a diversion. It's that need. And it's interesting, um, just to go back to you talking about the city versus the country, you know, the Mumbai, which having visited it a couple of times, you know, it is very busy and lively and frenetic. And that idea of parking spaces and competition, as you said, um, that you don't have in rural upstate New York in the same way. But now you live in Hell's Kitchen, right in the middle of Manhattan, parking spaces, noise, busyness. Um, and you are you exist in an in an industry. You talked about the advertising world, which is highly competitive and full of that noise and jostling as well, metaphorically. So it's interesting. I haven't really talked to you before about this kind of push and pull for you between that competition jostling and you know the creative space of an empty page or um, you know an empty horizon you know I'm kind of trying to make parallels now between you know those kind of different choices in your life. Yeah and I think too this idea of oh until I can you know entirely make my living doing this art thing then I can't you know I'm not allowed to call myself an artist until you know that's the sole thing that I do but in reality mm. Artists have always multitasked, have always done other things. I've always very often had to have one foot in their work and another foot in a more, uh, in a different commercial world. And I think that's mm. a trap for us to think, oh, well, I'm not totally making my living doing this. So, so maybe, yeah, so maybe I'm not really, it's, you know, it's just a, a way of keeping ourselves separate from this. And I think the truth is we are all innately creative and we are mm. all artists and we are all capable and are doing creative work all the time. Sometimes we just don't recognise that that's what we're doing. And more and more, I think um, we're being allowed to break down the barriers mm. and boundaries um, of profession and identity. You know, I am this and I do a bit of that or I am just this. And actually, we can be slightly more without portfolio. You know, I do lots of different things. I work in advertising. I write plays that go on on the, you know, New York off-Broadway scene or whatever it is. Um, we seem to be given permission to, to define ourselves in multiple ways now. What's your first memory of writing prose then? If, if you say, you know, you're, oh, there's this great undiscovered oeuvre of yours... <laughs> What's your earliest memory of, of putting pen to paper? I started writing in a journal when I was nine. And I hacked that journal. It's a, it's a purple journal. It's very small. It can almost fit in the palm of my hand and I had a lock with a key. 
And it started out as kind of like daily missives, like this is what I'm doing today. But I used to write like very sort of fantastical scenes with people I knew. So I would like say, you know, um, they were always, I was always a really student-y student. And so there would always be something about like doing really well in school, (laughs) these stories, just not a, and then they got more and more fantastical. And I remember writing, you know, and I would write stories about myself in three years time and what I would be doing. I mean, three years when you're nine or 10 is like a lifetime. Mm. So I would project that and I would create, you know, um, I guess the young, young people would call it like an avatar, Mm. you know, um, and, you know, my handle on, on Instagram is super dipty. And that was from that time. So that was my first memory writing as a child of like what Super Dipti's adventures would be. They were very small adventures, um, but they would they, they got increasingly wild as I got older. <laughs> so it was a space to kind of dream and imagine alternate futures. I mean, they were they were fantastical enough to not be something that could actually happen or would actually happen. Is that right? Or, or maybe they were. Yeah, they, they would, they would, I was always the sort of uh, center of attention in all of them. I was the most beautiful, the smartest. I had very, very long hair. That was like a big part of it. Which you never um, had in real life? Uh, I used to have longer hair, but I never had very, very long hair. Um, long hair. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and also um, the interesting thing thing is I had limitations with my superpowers. So I never thought of giving myself an ability to see without glasses. Like glasses were a really big part of my <laughs> fantastical identity. But those stories, I mean, you know, I, I lived in such a small, quiet town that nothing really happened in it. So it was like the perfect canvas to tell all these crazy stories about myself and, you know, what I would do and, uh, and, and see. Um, and as my world got bigger, the stories got bigger. But it was really journaling. Journaling was kind of um, the way that I expressed myself for a long time and still it, do. It is really fascinating. Uh, as you say, you were always the, at the center of it. So putting yourself at the center of these stories, um, but imaginary stories, because um, some writers will completely deflect from their own experience and just write about other people's experience. They will create characters which aren't based on them and kind of explore things through very different experience to theirs. Whereas it's interesting in the light of uh, a lot of the writing that you have done that has turned you into this emerging playwright, a lot of it has built on your own story, is my understanding. I'd I'd love to talk about that uh, during this conversation about that balance between your own story and imagined stories of other other existences other human experiences other people um i love the idea of super dipti in a cape i feel i feel that i've seen a cartoon of super dipti in a cape yes but with glasses of course. so so it's an avatar of of possibility because you're a superhero but also yeah just Grounded in the reality of the specs. So this writing that started age nine with a journal, and as you say, the, you, you've got that journal. That's the amazing thing about you, Dipti. You've 
you've got everything you've got you're very well archived when they come to, to when they come to do that archiving it'll all be there everything you've ever written even on napkins in restaurants I'm sure you've got them um so you've got that journal and your journal now how has theatre become the expression of your writing um and I, know, and I believe it's not the only expression but you said you know I was a prose writer and I never thought any of this was going to be read now people are watching your work on a stage that seems to be the the medium that you're working through how come Oh gosh, like so many things in my life, uh, it was a combination of luck and um, and timing. So I think it was it was six years ago that I was I had moved back from London to New York, and I was really craving some sort of kind of creative outlet that involved other people because the thing about being a secret ubiquitous, prolific, <laughs> unknown writer is that it gets a little lonely. <laughs> yeah. And I've been watching theater since I was very small. My, my parents would take me to local theater. Then we started coming to the city to see these. So it was a huge, huge part of my life. And I would see multiple shows a week. And someone suggested, well, why don't you apply for like a theater retreat? And I was like, well, well I have no theater training. And the friend said, well, of course you have theater training. You have been going to the theater since you were half your height. There's your training. And I actually have a really very thick set notebook where I will write about sets that I think are interesting or things that happen on the stage. Um, like how do they do that and that kind of thing. And so shouldn't you give it a shot? I mean, the worst thing that can happen is they can say no. And I took it really seriously. It was with the Labyrinth Theater Company, which is based in New York. And a group of us went to offsite for a week. And I don't use this phrase very often, but it, it fundamentally changed my life. Mm, wow. It opened me up to the possibilities of what collaboration in theater looks like. I was really one of the very few people who um, you know, had never acted except for once, you know, in Johnny Appleseed when I was 10 and I was like child number four or something like that, or a tree. I mean, I would act in talent shows and things like that, the recitals as a musician, but not act, act. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And, I, and, and the thing that it gave me, you know, briefly is this community of people that, you know, we were put through this intensive week. And so we were kind of obsessed with each other. So that first year was like, how do we do stuff together? How do we hold the ensemble? And I wrote a short play and that's, that's the first leap um, it took from page to stage. So Labyrinth is a new writing ensemble, is that right? They only work with new work, developing new writing? No, I mean, they have a 25 year history um, and they were created because really focusing on the Latino community, which wasn't getting, you know, the actors weren't getting roles in major right. productions. So it came out of this sort of desire to give them opportunity. And, you know, they created all these incendiary new, new works and they've done, done that over the years and they have, you know, incredibly talented members. So that group, which we call the intensive ensemble that year became kind of my extension um, of Labyrinth and Labyrinth's sort of philosophy. Um, 
but we were doing things outside of Labyrinth. We were doing things together um, in our own little cohort. And I'm guessing that you're writing and you're performing. The collaborative, the collaborative process is, is about collaborating with people on developing your writing, but collaborating in the room as a performer with other people. Is, it, it was an all-round experience, was it? Yeah, I mean, that, that experience was like, you know, looking at directing, looking at writing, looking yes. at acting. Um, there were classes, there were people talking. We would, we would have readings every night that we would act in. Right. So it was full on, I mean, it barely slept. So it became like a rite of passage for me. And yeah. I'd never had that experience before. Um, so it was, ama- it, was, it, was, it was incredible. And what was the first piece that you wrote? So the first piece I wrote was called The Accident. And it wasn't autobiographical. It was actually inspired by two things. One by Lance Armstrong and his fall. Mm. Um, from Grace and also by a friend who had a very terrible accident where he broke almost every bone in his body and how it changed his life. So a friend had told me that story and then I was thinking about Lance Armstrong and I constructed this kind of premise of that a man had a similar accident, came to and and in the hospital, a news reporter came to speak to him saying, you know, there were these other hikers found um, were you trying to help them? Is that why you fell? And he just in sort of this post-hospital haze said, yes. And he assumed this identity of this benevolent, you know, good Samaritan trying to help these two men who ultimately died. And he became a hero and he had speaking engagements in the play is about how that story starts to unravel and how people, you know, their inconsistencies. And it was told in kind of five character, like sort of vignettes little exchanges so it was a it was a little bit different from a kind of traditional play mostly because I still don't really know how to write a play that has a beginning middle and end it just doesn't appeal to me so I'm uh so yeah and um it was we had five shows it was um the response was like dramatically positive not what I expected it won the best drama at the festival. It won an audience award. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> it was just maybe, maybe there's something in this theater thing that I should think about. So I'm interested, you were starting to kind of get a little insight into your process and you talked about, you know, how, how you made that piece from things that you'd heard and stories. Um, and then somehow this journaling um, autobiographical exploration and expression moved into the into your theatrical work. When how how and when did did that happen? You know, it happened in the more in a profound way when I was having a conversation with my mom about something that had happened in our town that was very devastating for me, um, an act of kind of racial violence towards my mom in our, in the, you know, calm town where people give you parking spaces. So I was like, and this was just, um, I think a year after Trump took office. And so the mood of the country had changed. Um, And I thought this is an article that I need to write. I didn't think it was a theatrical thing. I just wanted to write about it. And uh, when I was sharing it with friends, they were like, this is, this needs to be told in a live setting. And then that went to, okay, I have to find actors to kind of read my story. And then the actors were like, 
this is your story. You need to tell, tell the story. And that's, so it actually went from article to maybe someone else performing it to a solo show that I performed. And, but that was the first time I felt like really compelled to like tell my story. And I thought, why not make it easy on myself? Write a 60 minute monologue where there are no other characters that I have to perform over and over and over (laughs) myself with no training. So um, that, that's actually, that's how I think my time in the last few years towards and into deeper into the world of theater has been. Mm. Cause I just keep, you know, um, there's another, there's another thing that I have to like make a leap into and I just yeah. go. That sounds like Dipti. There's a high bar. Let's yeah, go yeah, for let's that. Go. Why go for the low one? That's dull. So, I mean, so that's yeah. really interesting because it's, it wasn't only a step into um, putting your story at the center of it. It was putting you on stage in the center of it as well. When you first started to use your story, it was like, and you on stage doing it. Yes. It's quite a leap. It was a leap. And, um, you know, I haven't really mentioned both of these endeavors and everything that I've done. I've had tremendous help, direction, dramaturgy, mm-hmm. um, turgy, actors, people just volunteering, friends. My brother was in the accident mm-hmm. um, as my, you know, he's a, he's a wonderful presence on a stage, but also just, you know, it, that's the thing I think about theater that, that I was mi- missing in, in my previous life. It's just a prose writer because there are people with you and you have to kind of give up control a little bit, which is hard um, mm. sometimes as a writer. And that autobiographical experience, um, I, I only needed to do it once as part of a storytelling festival. Um, so that's what I did. It was at a hundred seat theater called The Crane in the East Village. And um, right before the curtain was supposed to go up, I was peering through these slats at the audience and That's I told my fatal. mom not to say- That's fatal, That's fatal. Well, this is the problem, right? I have no training down. It's like, no one tells you what to do. I'm like, I don't know. I was like, I felt like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna throw up. Like, I don't, and I saw my mom front and center, like wearing this neon coat. And I was like, oh gosh, and like my brother and his now husband and my dad in the back and all my friends. I was like, this is going to be catastrophe. I'm not going to (laughs) remember what I'm supposed to say. And I got out there and I cried on the stage for maybe about three minutes and I couldn't kind of pull it together. But the crying was 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 um, in the service of the story that you were telling. I mean, came out of telling the story, not out of being overwhelmed right. by seeing your mum in neon coat. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was more the vomit feeling. Uh, and, you know, and you know, as performers, that sometimes time on the stage is like really different from real life time. And it went by in like two minutes, yeah. even though it was an hour. Um, and at the end, people stood up. And I didn't even hear them. I just saw them standing up and I was like, oh, it's done. It's done. <laughs> and people were wiping their tears from their eyes. And I, I just was like, what is this? Because it was, it was a really, really profound experience for me. Even, even retelling it now is, is, you know, emotional. It was really incredible to, to have that experience. So that piece was called American Rookie. Yeah. 
And I've, got, I've got another question to ask about that. If, if you're, unless you're moving on. I've got another question Great, to ask it. about it. Um, <laughs> and, and which is, um, so what do you think you learned about your own story from making that piece or, or what surprised you about your story working on that piece? Well, one that it's, it's interesting to people and and that it it has value in the world and it's a big thing isn't it yeah i think it's big for all of us that the idea that anybody cares about our experience and i think you know all of that pinning down what was happening in my life when i was a kid and the pinning pinning down in words is you know there's a little bit of a, an erasure that happens to children as immigrants that I think people are talking about now, um, not seeing yourself projected on mm -hmm. screens anywhere, like anywhere, a TV, movie, you know, around you, being the only one. And so when someone sits and listens to a 60 minute retelling of your story and doesn't bat an eyelash and wants to hear more is really, you know, it's profoundly defining. You know, I just felt like I was like filled in, like someone just took a marker and it's like, okay, you know, there's your outline, you know, you're, I know that sounds a bit, it might sound a little um, abstract, but it's, it, it is, it's really truly one of the most profound experiences I've, I've had and then mm. had again a few times. I, I don't think it sounds abstract. It sounds really concrete mm. um, because, you there's you and there's your story and there's you telling your story on your own in a light on a stage now you talked about collaboration but that's great the collaboration gets you to the point where you step out from behind the curtain and then you're on your own with your story and that audience and it's it, it's not abstract it's really concrete you were seen and you were heard in that moment is what I got yeah and I said things on that stage that I have never uttered aloud. <laughs> Just, you know, kind of nuts actually. And I was wondering what my colleagues from my advertising job would think they, you know, um, half a dozen of them came, my parents, my friends, you know, my communities that, and I said, what will they think of me after this? Um, so there's something about and, bravery there, really. Not, not, not just, yes, you're on your own in a spotlight, but the bravery of how you were identifying yourself through your story to these people um, that was um, an experiment. You know, it was kind of a dangerous experiment potentially for you. Yeah. And, you know, when, I, when American Rookie went on its journey from that one time to a reading to a run, so now you've got to do year. it multiple times, night after night. <laughs> yes, night after night. And, and, you know, I started to, I did have fear. I did have fear of people's reactions, you know. Um, and I talk about it in the show. I talk about the idea of, do I have a right to tell the story? Hmm. Um, you know, I have a whole section about like these violent, I, you know, the, the story is about my autobiographical sort of, kind of upbringing, but also about race and ethnicity. And, and, and I was like, well, do I, need, do I need that violent act to happen? 
before I have the permission. I'm like, no, I'm doing this so that violent act won't happen so that people see, you know, people like me as human beings Mm. and so cannot commit violent acts against, you know, and I thought of it as, because I cannot confront, though I would, the, the, the man who, you know, said and, and, and did something to my mom, this was like my big stand up to any passivity I've ever had around racial issues in my life. That's why I did it really, um, to say like, I'm not afraid, even though I really, really was afraid. <laughs> um, and still am, I'm still, I still am afraid actually. So if I, if I do it again sometime, I'm sure I'll still be afraid. <laughs> I'm really struck by you saying that there that there were things that you say in American Rookie that you had never said out loud before. And I think there's really something about uh, being witnessed by people say, saying those things that are truths that you had held inside you. And also something about sometimes we don't we don't really know the extent of our story or the power of our story or the meaning of our story until we hear ourselves saying it aloud and being witnessed say, saying it. Um, yeah. So that's extraordinary to hear you say that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it started, you know, I learned that in, 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 in narrative with both of you that, that a story actually has two ends. It has the the teller and the receiver. And I think oddly, I had to become a receiver of my own story that I was telling in order to tell it. I had to accept and listen to my own story and then tell it and have other people. So it's very, um, uh, so that, that, I mean, it's funny. You, you, you would think that that would make me feel comfortable using the word artist, but and if someone told me that story, I would be like, oh, that person's an artist. But <laughs> it's it's a very, it's like emerging, you know, it's like you, I don't, maybe one day I will, I will get that label and feel good about it. But until, until then, I'm just going to be, you know, a, a writer um, cursing about rewrites, you know, for the rest of my life. <laughs> so American Rookie sounds like it was a real baptism of fire you know you'd had your early labyrinth experience which was teaching you that how theatre worked in the round you were collaboratively writing directing acting in things and that real shared experience of making something American Rookie you then stepped into the spotlight and you were the canvas and the paint and the brush and everything as it were your story your mouth telling it where did you go from there? I mean, did that feel, was there a moment where it was like, oh, I think I've done it now. You know, I didn't, that's, that's my story told. Oh, no, it like, it <laughs> opened opposite. up the opposite. Well, we had um, a wonderful run at Luna Stage, which is this great theater in New Jersey. And um, after that happened, you know, it was a, it was a real pivot, like, oh, okay, well, gosh, I mean, what, you know, I have other stories to tell and can I go deeper into them? And, you know, this was very much like an identity play. Could I write something about that, but from a different perspective? Um, 
you know, I'm very interested in kind of excavating my childhood and showing it because I don't really see it in, in the world. And I, I really want to, mm-hmm. um, not, not necessarily that I've created it, but something that I can look at and think, oh yeah, that was, that was similar. Or there was a, an echo of, of, and when I saw Bend It Like Beckham, <laughs> um, yeah. I could not believe how profoundly I was affected by that. And that is like my aspiration for people to watch something, whether it's a film about coming of age that I've written where you're like, oh my gosh, I am rooting for the young Indian girl. Yeah. I want her to have what she wants. That's, that's kind of what I'm always trying to do with this autobiographical work that I've been, that I've worked on with you with Feet in the Forest and, and with American Look Rookie. It's, it's, not, it's almost, it's like a, a testament to, you know, the erased immigrant girls. They, you know, want, you know, that it's like an ode to that, of the immigrant childhood, what, it's, that, what that's like. I think this representation question is, is so um, pertinent and so interesting. And, and it is a question that's, you know, being, uh, has been very validly asked uh, a lot over the last few years. Um, and I think it, as, a, as a white man, I, it's impossible for me to understand what you have just described really. Um, I, I, I only intellectually I, I can grasp it, but experientially for me to really know what that feels like as somebody who's seen my, my experience reflected in all art around me since I've been born to understand what it's like to watch or for, to have the absence of seeing yourself represented is it, it's a very must be a really powerful feeling when you do then bend it like Beckham it's such a simple story um but to be able to go oh gosh that is someone like me um I can only I can only hope to you know imaginatively grasp what that must feel like yeah and I always hope that one day I can meet Gurinder Chada because I remember sitting in the theater and I was like our people, our customs, our way. I mean, her family that was depicted in, in, in the movie wasn't my family. I mean, I grew up totally differently, but yet it was. And the tenderness and the sort of loving feeling around an Indian family, I'd never seen ever. And so now when I'm writing, what I think about is, you know, I had a very quintessential American experience in many ways, as you know, we know Feet in the Forest with things like camping, like fairy Girl Scouts, uh, iconic American things. S'mores, um, marshmallows. S'mores, marshmallows, that's right. And what does it feel like to kind of just drop an Indian girl in the middle of, in the middle of those things? Because that was my experience. And whenever I watch any TV show or film, I think, well, what if that was an Indian woman? Mm-hmm. Would, you know, what, and, and that it wasn't about her identity, but actually just about her life. Mm. Just, you know, when I see like Emily in Paris, I'm like, why can't it be like, I don't know, Priya in Paris? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like I always, it, it's very weird. I do a little substitution because that's what I always long for. Um, even with things I really love, um, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if there was, and not just Indian, just like a different yeah. 
background of someone thrown in there just just because the world exists. What feels exciting is that that kind of what if it wasn't Emily in Paris, it was Priya, feels like a real possibility to change that rather than just to like, oh, wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't it be fun? It's like, why is that not being made? Is more that the question now, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 it is you know, I, more more. Yeah, and how it is being made. I mean, there's so many people who've like paved that path for so many years. You know, it's like I'm standing on their bigger leaps that they had to take and prove, and and how things have to be made palatable, um, which I'm really resisting. Mm. You know, um, I, I you know I have had conversations about things that I've written, and people have said would you consider casting a little bit differently because, you know, because of access, um, making it more accessible if there's a, an, um, maybe not for Indian people, but two or something like that. Mm-hmm. And meant in, you know, not badly, but with, you know, intentions, so, you know, we want an audience, wouldn't that help? And, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult when you're, when you're trying to tell these stories that are unique to you and you also are thinking, yes, the people see this. And the idea of kind of like not being able to just do the thing that you intend to do to make it more palatable, to make it more marketable is very interesting as well and hard to navigate. That's explored in the 40 year old version, that film that we just watched the other day, totally with um, you know, a New York black New, look, New York writer wanted to get her play uh, you know, produced and she makes major concessions, including bringing in white characters to make it more palatable. Uh, what I'm thinking about, and it's reminding me of um, the comments that some of the actors made when we were rehearsing Feet in the Forest and how you know, to have four Indian actresses in a room doing, you know, rehearsing the scene and afterwards, just like, yeah, here, here we are all together doing this, this thing. And, yeah. and how that was remarkable. And, you know, that should not be remarkable. And mm. yet absolutely is. And I, and I get that it is and, and was for them and was moving for them to be working in that way. Yeah. And creating, you know, what was interesting about that experience is that it's so profound to see one's own story full stop and other people connecting to it and and telling their own stories. But the thing that happens outside of it, which is giving people an idea that, that there is, there's space and room for them in stories that may not directly relate to their, the melanin in their skin, but actually something deeper in them. That, that is pretty amazing to see that transformation um, as well. I think there is, a real opportunity for to think a bit differently about the types of opportunities that we're giving people of, of different backgrounds and how how to enable that to happen in, in you know in a way that sort of is more supportive of universal stories versus stories that may be more exciting to the majority culture but are not true to the mm-hmm. to the writers or the actors and directors who are creating whatever those stories are. Mm. Um, but I don't have a bone. I mean, I'm not definitely not trying to take down the, um, the, the theater industrial complex in any way. I'm just 
um, I think it was like Hannah Gadsby who said that I don't want to unite you, unite you with laughter or joy. I just want my story heard. And I was like, yes, that's, that's what I want to. Mm. Now mindful of time. Um, So I think it's possible that, that we need to have a whole other conversation, you know, another time about making feet in the forest really, because we haven't, you know, we, I feel like we've just started, which is great, but I did have one other question that I wanted to ask you, which was generally, what would you say, you know, exploring yourself as a, a writer and as a playwright and having your work out there, what do you take from that now back into, you know, what you describe as your, you know, your day job? What's, what's doing theater, you know, what, what impact is that having on, on the work that you do day to day? It has a profound impact. There are two areas where I think things have changed. One is a sense of confidence and pride in myself in the writing world that's transferring to my interactions that gives me a sense of security and strength and purpose. And then the second thing is just this idea of ensemble. And that's, you know, we, we work collaboratively in teams within the company that I work for. And we don't do a great job, I think, as an industry creating ensemble between people, creating relationships that is. And that's, that's something that I'm thinking about also, and how, you know, how do I invest in these relationships when we're going through a difficult project or we have a challenging client that we have something to lean on? We know um, what the other person is thinking and doing. Uh, half the time you work with someone for like years and you don't know what their favorite food is or, you know, what their working style is. So that, that, that to me is something that I'm trying to actively apply also. Mm. So there's a lot of synergy. More than it used to be that I would be like, in the day, I'm an advertising executive and in the night, I'm a writer, but um, this you know, wonderful um, half Punjabi, half British um, uh, writer and um, you know, commentator said, you know, he likes to be described as both not half. Hmm. So he's not like half Punjabi and half British, he's both hmm. Punjabi and British. And I thought, oh, that's, that's something that I would like to be. I'd like to be both American and Indian, a writer and an advertising exec, you know, those things are fusing. So Mm. slowly, slowly fusing. (laughs) Great. Have it, have those two identities fully. You have it, which reminds me of conversations that we had, you know, years ago when we worked together, which was all about kind of joining your artist creative self with you know the work that you were doing day to day it's like it's the same because it's all you it's all you so there's no in truth there's no divide yes yeah it's artificial isn't it yeah but you did something in that room and uh we we were in Saatchi and Saatchi in London in a conference room I remember downstairs and I was a little like is this okay to be meeting here kind of fear um, and it was towards the end of the day. And, and, and that was the moment where I think, Jane, you looked directly into my eyes and said, you are an artist too. And that, I mean, talk about life-changing. 
I don't think people understand what that kind of validation and acceptance does. I think, you know, it, it has made me say that to other people. It's made me create opportunities for other people. It's made me reinforce other people. And I think you said it before I even had proved, proven in any way in the world that I actually could write, but you saw something and you said it, you gave a name to it. So I'm like very profoundly grateful for that, but it's just, it was just a moment. I mean, it was many moments, but that moment in particular, I know I've said it to you, but it's good to, good to revisit it and, and really embarrass you now during the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, thank you. Well, I could see it and I see it. So yeah, it's, it's there to be named. Thanks for your time, Dipti. Yeah, thank you. Let's do thank this. Thank you. Thing.